Well, hello, friends, and welcome to the Capital City Christian Church Podcast. My name is Chris, and I'm so glad that you are tuning in with us. If this is your first time listening or you would just like to reach out, feel free to shoot me an email to hello at capitalcitychristian.org, and I'd be glad to talk with you. The last few weeks, we've been looking at the stories of Jesus's power in the book of Mark. We're doing this because we want to take a look at who Jesus really was. Was he a magician, a great teacher, or just a man? Maybe he was really who he said he was, the Son of God. Today, we're starting to look at some of what Jesus taught in the book of Matthew. Jesus said some really crazy things. Now, they may not sound outrageous to you today, but they were so radical that the authorities of his day killed him, all because of what he taught. Let's take a look at what exactly it was that Jesus taught in his authoritative teaching. Here is our senior minister, Dr. Stephen Doc Pattison. Good morning. They did think Jesus was a blasphemer because the kind of things he said were that audacious. But what if he was right? What if what he said was both radical, unbelievable, and right? Completely right. Hmm, that's where we're going to go. Before we get there, how many of you guys are pulling for the saints today? That's a trick question, isn't it? They're not playing. Did you know that down in New Orleans today, they're going to have some anti-Super Bowl parties? And that most of the bars and the restaurants down there are going to refuse to show today's game because if you're not a football fan, here's what happened. Saints were playing the Rams two weeks ago. Winner goes to the Super Bowl. Less than two minutes left in the game. The game is tied. If the Saints get a first down or if they score a touchdown, they probably win. They're in the Super Bowl. Well, one of the Rams' defensive backs pretty much blasts the Saints' receiver before the ball gets there. That's called pass interference. Ram, the refs call nothing, so the Rams have to settle for a field goal. They end up losing the game. Some are calling it the worst blown call in NFL history, right? Some of the memes that showed up afterwards are pretty funny. Look at this one. Some of the Saints fans are still sitting in front of their TVs looking like this. Still there. Next one. Here's Todd Gurley, Rams, exchanging jerseys with the ref. Ref did good. Or this next one. Here's the Crystal Vision Center. They're offering free eye exams and glasses to any NFL ref free of charge. Or here's Darth Sidious. Message to Saints fans, let the hate flow through you, right? And this one's my favorite. Sandra Bullock is one of the refs. There is no flag for pass interference on the play. (laughs) Bottom line, the refs had the right. They had the power. They didn't get it right. They had the authority. They didn't get it right. Let's hang on to that piece. Anyway, how many of you guys are pulling for the Patriots today, the most nefarious team in the league? All right, all right, you guys can leave. (laughs) How many of you guys are pulling for the Rams, the team that probably shouldn't be in the Super Bowl today? All right, you guys can probably stay. How many of you guys are just hoping for some good commercials? All right. And how many of you guys don't give a rip? Yeah, yeah. Maybe God will work a miracle in your heart this morning. (laughs) Let's tackle some way more important things. Are any of you guys old enough to remember the show Malcolm in the Middle? (laughs) 20 years old now, believe it or not. This was their theme song, Boss of Me. 
by they might be giants. It goes like this. Yes, no, maybe, I don't know. Can you repeat the question? You're not the boss of me now. You're not the boss of me now. You're not the boss of me now, and you're not so big. (laughs) And they just keep on repeating that line over and over and over again. Have you ever used that line on anybody? You're not the boss of me. Anybody ever used it on you? Maybe one of your kids, right before you prove them wrong? How about one of these? Same basic attitude. Says who? And you got to say that just dripping with sarcasm, right? Says who? Or who are you? Sarcasm on steroids, right? Who are you? Kind of a clip version of who do you think you are? Or what gives you the right? What gives you the right? Usually muttered against someone who probably does have the right. Or, what makes your opinion any better than mine? One of my favorites on that one was when I was a New Testament professor at the college. I had a Bible college degree, a seminary degree, and a PhD in New Testament. I'd been teaching at the Bible at the college for several years. I was at a junior high church camp teaching a class when a seventh grade girl said one of the dumbest things I'd ever heard. And I stupidly challenged her. I know challenging a seventh grade girl is dumb, right? And she said, what makes your opinion any better than mine? And there's really no answer. You just kind of look there and say, really? Well, how about this one? Who died and left you in charge? Who made you God? How many of those of you heard aimed at you? How many of those of you used yourself? Maybe you didn't say them out loud. Ever thought something like that? Because, well... How do you respond typically when someone pulls rank on you or someone tries to tell you what to do and you really don't want to? Is there a piece of you that just kind of is a rebel, that just kind of wants to push back? You inclined to ignore them unless they keep on pushing on you or do you procrastinate? I'll do it, but I'll do it in my own time and I'll do it in my own way. Or maybe you actually do it on the outside, but on the inside you're grumbling and you're working up all this anger. I'll do it, but I'm not going to like it and I'm not going to like you. Maybe you just refuse. And maybe you're so stubborn that it doesn't matter what they threaten, what they do, you're just not going to do it. My daughter's kind of like that, by the way. (laughs) What I'm really asking is this. Fundamentally, fundamentally at your heart, do you respect authority? Would you consider yourself a person who respects authority? And some of you guys are like, well, it depends. Depends on who they are. And it depends on whether I like them or not. It depends on whether I agree with them or not. Right? Did you know that typically, according to statistics, those who are older tend to respect authority more than those who are younger? But I can give you a boatload of exceptions. Right? And did you know that those who are conservative tend to respect authority more than those who are liberal? Again, I'll give you a boatload of exceptions. One more question before I get off of this. Do you speed on the road? Do you speed? I don't. (laughs) Because I figure the speed limit is whatever speed I choose. By the way, that doesn't work well with cops. You ever tried one of these on a cop? They pull you over and you're kind of like, you're not the boss of me. (laughs) How'd that work? Well, who are you? What gives you the right? They might push back a little on you. Oh, I don't think I was speeding. What makes your opinion any better than mine? (laughs) 
Or try this one on a cop. Who died and left you in charge? <laughs> Who made you God? By the way, we're, we've got a jail minister here at Capital City, and we're working on expanding that. The uh, friend of mine who is a cop told me one time, he says, this is kind of what I, the way I operate. He says, nine, you're fine, ten, you're mine. Right? Nine, you're fine, ten, you're mine. So next time you get pulled over, tell the cop your preacher told you, nine, you're fine, ten, you're, ten, you're mine. And I just go on eight. Doc said. See how that works for you. <laughs> so why do we speed? We're thinking to ourselves, because speed limits are stupid, right? And I'm on a mission. I've got to get there. And that two minutes that I'm going to save could be world-changing. Or I'm being safe, and the law is just there to help us be safe. So I'm fast, but I'm safe, so it's okay. Or you kind of like me. There's just this piece of you inside that just kind of likes to bend the rules, you know? Like to press the edges, like to buck authority a little. Like to look at ourselves and say, a little bit of a rebel there. How cool am I? That's humor, by the way. But there's a piece of us that a lot of times will look at authority and say, you're not the boss of me. Says who? Who gives you the right? Who died and left you in charge? Who made you God? Which is why, I think, which is exactly why so many people kicked back at Jesus. And why so many of us still do. We don't kick back at the part of Jesus where he can do all these miracles for us. We like that part, right? We kick back at his claim to be our boss. To have absolute authority over us. We're in this little macro series we're calling Making the Messiah. He claimed to be the Messiah. He claimed to be your Savior, your Lord. Which means he thinks he has the right to be your boss. To be your master. Do you agree? Was he right? And how are you going to decide whether you agree with him? Who do you think Jesus is? And who are you going to listen to when it comes to making the single most important decision in your life? Last month we presented Exhibit A, his unparalleled power, his power over disease, over nature, over demons, even over death itself. We looked at the power of Jesus through the Gospel of Mark. This month is about Exhibit B, his unparalleled words, the way he spoke with unmatched authority. Listen, guys, Jesus' miracles make us look at him. His words force us to make a choice. They force you to make a call. Because what he says is so outlandish. He's either a raving lunatic, an insidious liar, or he's right. His miracles made him look. His words made some of them want to kill him. So this month we're going to drill down on the way Jesus taught. And we're going to be dipping into the Gospel of Matthew. And it kind of boils down to this. Jesus proved he had the might. But might doesn't always make right. Right? Jesus had power. Power gives you the ability to influence others and control their actions right or wrong. But was Jesus right? Did he have the right does he have the right to command your unconditional allegiance? He claims that right. Is he right? And actually it boils down to this. Who do you really think he is? Do you agree with Jesus in what he claims to be? And if he is the Messiah, if he is the Son of God, the, your Savior and your Lord, how crazy would it be to blow him off? 
How crazy would it be to live like he doesn't exist or like he doesn't matter? You see, guys, Jesus said things that if he's wrong, he is absolutely crazy or flat-out evil. The way he spoke, the way he taught, no sane man should ever teach that way. Most famous sermon ever, Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapters 5 to 7. When Jesus was done with this sermon, here's what Matthew says. When Jesus had finished these things, the crowd were amazed at his teaching. For he taught with real authority, with authority, quite unlike the teachers of religious law, like any other man in actuality. Bottom line, guys, if I ever taught you like Jesus taught them, you would blow me off as the most arrogant, most blasphemous man you've ever seen. Chapter 11. Here's what Jesus says. He says, my father, God, has entrusted everything to me. No one truly knows me except God. And no one truly knows God except me and those to whom I choose to reveal him. Really? I mean, what, what would you think if any other preacher said something like that? God has entrusted everything to me, everything, even you, to me. You'll never know like God like I do. So if you want to know anything about God, you got to listen to me. You got to go through me. Now, if I taught like that, would you be back next week? I hope not. I don't think I'd be back next week. Our elders would be sure of that. And then Matthew closes his gospel of Jesus with these words. I have been given all authority. Not only over you, I've been given all authority in heaven and on earth. It's all under me, Jesus says. You're under me. I have the last word on everything, he says. Who made me the boss of you? God did. Dad did, Jesus says. Those are big words, aren't they? None bigger. So what if Jesus really said this stuff? Do you believe him? What if he's right? What if what he claimed, what if what he said is actually true? Are you willing to accept them as God's truth for you? So we're going to kick off this study of Exhibit B with a look at a few of the words of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount. Don't worry, I'm, only about half, I'm already about half done this morning, so I'm not going to just get started preaching here. Okay, we're, we're getting there. So if you've got a Bible on your phone or your tablet, find Matthew chapter 5. If you don't have an e-Bible, I would recommend the version. It's free. It's amazing. You can download it from your app store. If you've got one of those old-fashioned paper Bibles, you can tell we leave the lights up a little bit in the corners, and you can read them there. The verses will also be on our screens, okay? We call it the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapters 5 to 7, most famous part of Jesus' teaching in the Scriptures. We're going to dive into the middle of it because I want to laser in on what may be the most controversial part of the Sermon on the Mount. See, there was something about the way that Jesus talked, something about what he said that was different. It's not that he was just good with words. It's that he said things that no man should say. Six times. We call these the antitheses. The antitheses. Six times Jesus flat out puts himself over Moses, puts himself over the law, puts himself over their Bible even. Listen. Listen. 
Verse 21. You have heard that our ancestors were told you must not murder. Murder. Ever heard that one before? Where's that from? Ten Commandments, right? But I say to you, you've heard the commandment that says you must not commit adultery, right? Part of the Big Ten. But I say to you, you've heard the law that says a man can divorce his wife. But I say to you, he keeps going. You've also heard that our ancestors are told you mustn't break your vows. But I say, here's my word. You've heard the law that says an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Makes sense, right? But I say to you, you've heard the law that says love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say, he says, over and over, over and over. You've heard that our ancestors were told. You've read the commandment that says, you've heard the law that says, but I say to you, Jesus thinks his words supersede those of Moses, supersede the law, supersede their scriptures. And what's wild is that Jesus doesn't support these words with any claims of authorities who agree with him. He just says, I say, this is my word. And what I say to you is bigger than Moses. It's bigger than the law. It's bigger than your Old Testament scriptures, he says. You understand why Jesus made some of them killing mad? What gave him the right? Who died and left Jesus in charge? Who does he think he is? Who do you think he is? Can you imagine if Jesus actually said stuff like this? How would you respond if I taught you this way? I'm telling you guys, if you heard Jesus, you'd either love him or you'd hate him, but I doubt there'd be much neutral. But I say to you, and what comes next blew their minds just as much. Verse 21, you've heard that our ancestors are told you must not murder, makes sense. But I say, if you're even angry with somebody, you're going to be subject to God's judgment. That's not cool. Most of us have PhDs in anger, right? You buy that? Jesus says, you've heard the commandment that says you must not commit adultery. But I say that anyone who even looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Well, that's not cool. Most of us have PhDs in lust. He's setting virtually an impossible standard, isn't he? You've heard our ancestors, uh, no, what's the next slide, please? You've heard the law that says a man can divorce his wife, but I say that a man who divorces his wife, unless she's been unfaithful, causes her to commit adultery. What's that even mean? You've heard that our ancestors were told you mustn't break your vows, but I say don't make any. Just a simple yes, I will, or no, I won't, because anything else is from the evil one. That's really what he says. I swear it. I swear to God. Cross my heart. Hope to die. Stick a needle in my eye. I promise. I tell Jesus. And Jesus is like, if you just told the truth, you wouldn't need to do all that vowing. Right? For the law that says an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, I say don't resist an evil person. Huh. That doesn't work. How can a man ever live that way? 
43. You've heard the law that says, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say, love your enemies, love your enemies, and pray for those who persecute you. Not pray at them, but pray for them, he says. Because in that way, you're going to be acting as true children of your Father in heaven. And you know why he says this stuff? (laughs) Because this weird verse, verse 48, he says, because you're to be perfect. As your heavenly Father is perfect. Yeah, right. Jesus says stuff like that all the time. He takes the bar, he takes the bar of Moses, the bar of the law, bar of their Bible, and he raises it really, really, really high. I mean, if this is the way that God wants us to be, which is as pure on the inside as we expect he wants us to be on the outside, then none of us is good enough. That would mean that the only shot that any of us have, any of us have with God, is grace. And that's not cool. Well, what if Jesus actually did say this stuff? Did he have the right to say stuff like this? And was he right? Was Jesus actually speaking for God? Was Jesus actually speaking as God? And in a week or two, we'll discover the consequences if we blow him off as wrong when he really was right. Because the stakes on all this, guys, are incredibly high. So, how do you respond to the authority that Jesus claimed for himself? Are you inclined to ignore him unless the nagging of God's spirit finally breaks you down? Do you procrastinate? I'll do what Jesus wants. Eventually, but in my own time and in my own way. Maybe you'll do it his his way on the outside, but inside you're as rebellious as hell. I'll obey him, but I'm not going to like it, and sometimes I don't like him much. Or maybe you just refuse. You know he claims to be your Savior and your Lord, but you simply will not bend your knees. You might even tell people he's your Savior and your Lord, but you don't live that way. You don't think it's about doing life with God, for God, God's way. You think it ought to be doing life, God should be doing life with you, for you, backing your way. Hmm. And think about those things that we throw at each other and picture using this against Jesus. It's one thing to use it against a cop. Imagine using this against Jesus, against God. Says who? Jesus. And perhaps, maybe, I hope, he smiles for a little while. You're not the boss of me, Jesus. We actually do use that one. Anytime we know exactly what he wants us to do and we choose to do otherwise. All right? You're not the boss of me. Who gives you the right? Who gives you the right, Jesus, to tell me what to do? And he's thinking to himself, well... All authority in heaven and on earth, God gave me. I think God did. What if Jesus is right? Or do you throw at Jesus, what makes your opinion any better than mine, Jesus? Which is pretty funny, isn't it? What makes you smarter than me, Jesus? What makes you wiser than me, God? Try saying that one three times with a straight face. Or who died and left you in charge, Jesus? And he's like, well, I did. 
Or who made you God, Jesus? Sometimes I think God has to have a sense of humor because if not, we'd all be toast. Bottom line, this is the rubber hits the road stuff, guys. Who do you think Jesus is? Raving lunatic? Maybe the craziest man ever? Maniacal liar? Perhaps the most dangerous liar who ever lived? Or is he really your Savior and your Lord? And if Jesus really said this stuff, are there any other viable options? He's either the liar, biggest liar ever, the biggest lunatic ever, or he is your Lord. Here's the bigger question. The bigger question is not. I mean, the big question is not who do you think he is. <laughs> biggest question is who does, who does God think he is? Who does the Father think he is? I'm telling you guys, if God really did raise Jesus from the dead, if God raises Jesus from the dead, that's pretty solid evidence exactly who God said he was. Here are the closing words of the Sermon on the Mount. Okay? Jesus says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But only the one who actually does the will of my Father who's in heaven. Many are going to say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? And didn't we in your name drive out demons and in your name perform so many miracles? And I'll tell them plainly, I, didn't, I never knew you. Get away from me, you evildoers. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on a rock. Rain came down, the streams rose, the wind blew and beat against the house. It did not fall. Because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. Rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against the house, and it fell with a great crash. <laughs> and when Jesus had finished saying these words, the crowds were amazed. No kidding. They were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority. No kidding. And not as one of their teachers of the law. Who do you say he is? And are you willing to back it up with your actions as well as your words? Guys, we gather here on Sunday mornings to worship God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, right? Did you know that the heart of worship is telling God, Jesus is not only my Savior, he's my Lord. It's an act of surrender. In fact, some of what we do physically in worship is supposed to symbolize our surrender to Jesus as our Lord. We bow our heads before him. It's a sign of submission to God. We raise our hands. It's an act of surrender, an act of submission to God. Have you ever done this? Sometimes what people will do is they'll hold their hands in front, form a fist, turn their fists over, and kind of open their hands. Symbolizes that we take everything we think is ours, we let go of it, because he's the Lord of our life. In the Bible, sometimes people would actually fall on their faces in abject surrender to God. We have a cement floor, we don't have much room because we got all these chairs, so we don't ask you to do that. Sometimes they would also kneel. And so sometimes we do that too. So I'm going to invite you to pray with me. And if you're willing, 
bow your heads. It's an act of surrender. If you want, raise your hands. It's an act of surrender. And if you want, and it's not going to damage you, go to your knees, even though it'll hurt a little. Listen, guys, if you're not a Jesus follower, maybe you should try it too. Start doing life with God for God, God's way right now. He deserves that, and you need it. I'm going to speak to God for us, and I'm going to use the Radicalis Declaration as a template. The words are going to be on screen if you want to read, but I'm going to say them, so if you want to bow your head and close your eyes, let's pray to our God. Today, God, we're stepping across the line. We're tired of waffling and wavering. We've made our choice, and our decision is irrevocable. We're going your way, God. We want to do life with you, for you, your way. There's no turning back. We will live the rest of our lives serving your purposes for your glory. We'll celebrate your presence. We'll cultivate your character. We'll build up your family. We'll live out your love. And we'll do whatever we can to communicate your truth and your grace. Since our pasts have been forgiven and we have a purpose for living and a home waiting for us in heaven, we refuse to waste any more time, any more energy on shallow living, petty thinking, trivial talking, thoughtless doing, useless regretting, hurtful resenting, or faithless worrying. Instead, we will magnify you, God, and we'll do whatever we can to grow to full maturity as Jesus followers and to serve those that you love. Because this life is preparation for the next, we will value worship over wealth, we over me, character over comfort, service over status, people over possessions and position and pleasure. We will do the best we can with what we have for Jesus Christ today. We will not be captivated by culture, manipulated by critics, or motivated by praise. We won't be frustrated by problems or debilitated by temptation or intimidated by the devil. Instead, we'll keep running the race with our eyes on the goal. Not on the sidelines or on those running by me. And when times get tough and I get tired, we will not back down, back off, back up, back out, backslide. We'll keep moving forward by your grace. And we won't quit until we finish the race. We commit to being gracious to everyone, grateful for every day, generous with everything God entrusts to us. We hereby declare our allegiance to our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. We say this, However, whenever, wherever, whatever you ask us to do, our answer is yes. We're ready. Anytime, any way, whatever it takes, we want to be used by you in such a way that on that final day, you'll, we'll hear you say, well done, good and faithful servants. Amen.